0: On this episode, I welcome Bastian Dinbarber and Jen Sidon, founder of Zambezi Partners. Okay, can you both introduce yourself, tell us what you do, and where you are located?
1: Yeah, so my name is Bastian, and we're both located in Los Angeles. Um, I was born and raised in the Netherlands, and we are the founders of Symbisi Partners, which is a technology company to help with wildlife conservation in Africa.
2: And I'm Jenna Seiden. I'm the co-founder as well. Like Bastian said, we are fortunate to be here in Los Angeles. We spend a lot of time, though, in Africa and uh, excited
0: to be here. Thanks, Kate. Awesome. Okay. So how old were you both when you first became interested in conservation?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, in hindsight. (laughs) Uh, as a young boy growing up in the Netherlands, I would disappear in the forests for hours. So I guess that's where it started. And then when I was in my late 20s, I made my first trip to South Africa to Sluislu Slu in Pelosi game reserve. And uh, after my first safari, I fell in love with Africa and it was, it was done from there.
2: I think for me, um, I had a really interesting childhood. My aunt had a animal rescue uh, and she started rescuing domestic animals, dogs and cats. But unfortunately she started to rescue a lot of exotic pets. I remember her first pet, um, it was an ocelot and I didn't know what that was. And she started to bring in all these amazing exotic and unfortunately legal animals. And so I was a little kid and started to get very involved in her organization and That spurred my interest in protecting wildlife. I was probably around eight years old.
0: Wow, that's so cool. And Bastian, I can relate because the first time I went on safari, I fell in love and we've gone ever since. I'm absolutely in love with Africa. So that's great. Okay, so what drives you both to wake up every single day and try to make our planet safer for animals and for humans? Why do you think people take our planet for granted?
1: Our grand, my grandparents... And my parents were the ones uh, who, who were building new companies and, you know, all post-war, uh, building new companies, um, building new economies, building new, building up countries, right? And there was just not this realization how important it is to do that in, in a balanced way with nature. So everything was consuming, right? Nature was, uh, still is, to some extent, a resource for everything that we humans need. And I think it's really that our generation is starting to understand that we need to balance this out. Otherwise it doesn't work, right? It doesn't work for the entire planet, which means it doesn't work for humans either. Um, And I think that realization of not taking the planet for granted is really only happening now, but now it's happening in a big way, which is really good news. Right. Um, so yeah. and, And for me to be able to get up every morning, is thinking back about uh, what I saw on every safari over the last 20 years in Africa and, uh, and what I learned over the last 12 years or so in conservation. Um, you know, and, and the fact that the most magnificent wildlife in the world needs us to fix things for them to, to survive and thrive. That gets me up every morning.
2: I get up every morning because I have beautiful nieces and nephews that I want to make sure get to enjoy going into the forest like Boston as a kid, going to Africa like Kate, you got to do. Um, It's really important for me to make sure that we have a place for people to see animals in real life and not just holograms and and, and things that we see what's happening with technology. Uh, So that's why I I get up in the morning to do what I do.
0: Yes, Totally different seeing animals in their natural habitats, and for kids getting to learn about animals, and getting to watch them, it's really inspiring. Okay, so now let's talk about the Zimbezi project. Can you tell us about the elephant nursery in Zimbabwe and how you help protect the orphan elephants?
1: So we started Zimbezi in the summer of two thousand eighteen, and then uh, we started talking to our friends uh, about it, and we got introduced to this family in uh, in in Zimbabwe. So. We have conservation partners there, Wild Life, and they've been rescuing elephants for, for, for decades already. And uh, they're based in Harare in Zimbabwe, and uh, they've rescued about 30 elephants so far already. And then when they were rescuing them, at some point they wanted to do the, the most beautiful thing of it all, which is actually putting them back in the wild. So then they started a project uh, on the other side of the country, the other side of Zimbabwe, very close to Botswana and Victoria Falls. And that's where they they, they bring the elephants towards too, for um, slowly exposing them to wild elephants in the wild savanna, And uh, some of them have actually gone back in the wild. And that's, uh, that's how the rewilding process works. And it takes years, of course, because first they have to be rescued, brought back to health. Uh, then they create new family bonds in the nursery. And then they take a whole new family. They just brought six uh, Mm -hmm. of them as a family from Harare to Panda And they just started their rewilding program. And they're currently 15 elephants in the rewilding uh, program, uh, ready to become wild elephants again.
2: And so the Zambezi project is our collaboration with Wild is Life, where we support them in any way we can, ideally with technology to enable them to identify the right tools and um, products such as infrared cameras and acoustic sensors and anything that they need to really help in the process of protecting the elephants as well as when they're out in the wild, hopefully, you know, tracking them. So that's what Zambezi Project is when we get to uh, work with that amazing family that runs Wildlife. Life.
0: Wow. And going back to the technology that you have, can you guys talk about the SPY Center and where the data goes to be analyzed?
1: Should
2: we, tell her, should we tell her about the
1: Spy Center? We can tell her about the Spy Center, not exactly what happens, everything that happens inside the Spy, we'll uh, Spy her Center. Her <laughs> um, yeah, so the the Spy Center is where, where everything comes together. So Jenna mentioned all these different sensors that we put out there. So there's are sensors that listen to. You sounds, there's, there's the camera traps. You've, you've, uh, you've had a session with Eric, of course, from Resolve, who has one of the smartest cameras out there.
2: And Fatima with her drones. And
1: Fatima with her drones. Mm-hmm. So we'll have aerial footage and aerial material. All of that information comes together in uh, in the control room. And the control room is really the kind of the spy center, right? Mm-hmm. That's where we see it's, it's highly secure. Only a few people get to go inside there. Uh, there are the screens all over the walls. Uh, where uh, they see everything that moves, literally where the cars are, where the rangers are, where the elephants with collars are. Uh, if there is a camera trap that senses right, from, from Eric when since well, that camera thinks there may be a poacher, it will send a signal. Um, and then the rangers get deployed, right? And that's where sort of the, that's where it becomes secret. Um, and at the same time, we have these former Special Forces men in the United Kingdom that are monitoring everything to make sure that everything is up and running at all times.
0: Wow. I mean, talk about how technology is saving animals. I mean, this technology is keeping so many animals safe. I can just imagine that room with all of that technology. That is so amazing. Your aunt your your elephants have a very good life there.
1: <laughs> in a very safe life.
0: So, have you been successful in rewilding the elephants, and how does your technology track and keep them safe?
2: Alda's life has had some successes—about uh, two or three—that they've gotten out into the wild, and it's been it's been wonderful to see. What, what happens is when they bring the elephants into the into the pens over in the western side of the country, they slowly start to make their way out of the fencing and into the wild, and sometimes those elephants find new friends in the wild and, and they they don't come back. So that's been been wonderful uh, in, in seeing that happen. We are doing what a lot of these reserves do, um, applying technology to hopefully make sure that they stay secure. So Wild as Life and a lot of the other reserves in Sub-Saharan Africa sometimes put smart collars on the rescued elephants. So they're able to track them in the spy center and make sure that they know where they are uh, at all times. There are, um, cybersecurity elements from towers that are perched all around the prop- all around the property as well. So Wild is Life and so many of these other properties are in there rewilding, um, whether it's rhinos and whether bringing them back or whether it's elephants. We're all using sort of a wonderful stack, as we call it, of technology to make sure that we know where they are and we are protecting them from threats, as you well know.
0: Wow. That, that's really cool, and I think your elephants are definitely really safe, and it's so great that you rewild them. And rescue, rehabilitate, and release. Perfect. Okay, so now, why are fenceless corridors between national parks so important, and how is your work monitoring these corridors and keeping animals safe?
1: Yeah, um... So the, the, the brief answer is that animals don't know countries, right? They are not citizens of a country like we are. And you know, a long time ago, we humans just took a map and draw straight lines over it and said, this is country A and this is country B. And you live there and you live there. But for the elephants, that was always, you know, they have their own biodiversity, their own range uh, where they migrate through on typically on an annual basis. Mm-hmm. And there's only one fully intact. Uh, annual migration that happens uh, every year, which is in the Serengeti, as you probably very well know. And they go through ten, the Serengeti is in Tanzania, and they hop a little bit into Kenya in the Masamara. And if if, that, if there were fences, like border fences between Kenya and Tanzania there, they, it would break up their, their natural migration. Now, that is almost a perfect annual migration. But if you look at where we are with Zimbabwe, Botswana, Namibia, uh, Angola, Zambia, all of those countries together form something that's like the Kapango Zambezi Transfrontier Area, a mouthful, uh, <laughs> but that is really uh, a collection of protected areas that together form the land that large mammals use to migrate on an annual basis. So elephants travel often all of those, those five countries on an, on an annual basis. Now, imagine if there were fences everywhere in between. They would be blocked off everywhere, right? And they wouldn't be able to do the natural migration, which means they wouldn't be able to follow the green pastures, right? Because one area gets really dry in the summer, so they go somewhere else. Well, if they couldn't do that, they would be stuck in a dry area and they would probably die from hunger, right? So that's why it's really important that the animals are able to roam large areas so they can always find uh, food.
2: And it's important to keep it fenceless because we want to keep it as natural and authentic to the environment that they're used to. But we also have the communities that live right on the borders of a lot of these beautiful areas. And we don't want to fence anybody out or fence anybody in. So to us, you know, having fenceless borders protects, actually protects everybody, uh, ironically, uh, than having fences.
1: Well, that's a good point. The the whole purpose of our technology is to not be what's called invasive. So we don't want to bother the animals too much. We want to bother the people that shouldn't be there.
0: Right. Yes, I totally agree with you guys that fenceless areas are a lot better and it can keep, you know, humans living in that area safe and the animals living in that area safe. So that's great. Okay, so now let's switch gears a bit and and let's talk about platform zero so it's very clear that zero is your favorite number and can you tell us why the number zero is so important to the Mesi partners
1: yeah uh, absolutely so um yes zero is a very important number because you know what we talked about in the beginning like everything that our prior generations have done to build companies and countries and everything was very consuming of the planet and now we need to get to a point where there's zero poaching zero illegal wildlife trade zero carbon emissions and pretty much zero everything of all the bad things right Mm -hmm. so that's why the number zero is is the magic number um so there was the logical name to 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 slap on our on our platform because our platform is intended to help everything that is sustainability related to get to that point of zero
2: yeah so platform zero is Technically, it's an IoT, an Internet of Things platform. And all that means is that it brings together all of those sensors that we talked about. It brings together all of that data into one one sort of secret place in the cloud that we can control all of that information and use it intelligently so that we know how this camera relates to that drone and that they can really provide really successful and effective results in protecting the animals. So platform zero, takes advantage of our favorite number zero and uh that is our
0: that's our product do you think it's possible to achieve zero poaching in my lifetime what needs to happen what can my generation do
1: yeah so um it's you know our mission is to achieve zero poaching in our lifetime <laughs> now we're a couple of times your age um so we see each other we see ourselves and, and our generation more as a call it as a bridge as a as building the foundation for your generation to keep doing all the right things right because we talked about the previous generations built all these things that now need to be brought in in in, in harmony with the planet so we are basically doing sort of the yeah you could think about it as a, as a gigantic wheel you know and you have a small steering wheel on it so if you want to move the big wheel you need to move moves very slowly so we're trying to make that real move now and when it's in the right direction we need you and everybody in your generation to jump on it and keep running it
2: (laughs) right well everything Kate you're already doing is is exactly what we'd advocate I mean you're out there telling people and you're telling your friends how to get involved what to do so we think your generation needs to you know, join local organizations and get involved in their local community. We think it's important to start studying um, computer science and a lot of all the other STEM fields, coding, which I know you do a lot of advocating about. And we think it's also important, like you said, to actually visit when you can, if you can get to Africa or get into the forest, get into those places that really need our help because you can't really imagine it until you're until you're there to see the beauty and the potential of all of it. So it's it's education and advocacy. It's everything that you're doing. And uh, if you can just pick up what we leave off, we know that we can, uh, we can stop a lot of these bad things happening.
0: So, and I think this is really important because my generation really has to step up now because in 10 years, we won't have any elephants. So it's really important for my generation to take action right now. Okay, so now let's talk about the illegal wildlife trade. Can you explain in your own words what the illegal wildlife trade is and how we, how we can reach number zero when it comes to this complicated web of illegal and dangerous activity?
1: Yes, yeah, so um, illegal wildlife trade, it actually there, there are three parts to it. One is the demand, right? The people wanting ivory and rhino horn and pangolin scales. And then there is the trade that sits in the middle, which is all illegal. And then there is the supply, which is the poaching, right? So we need to tackle all three problems, right? We need to mostly educate people in Asia, where most of the demand is from, that there is no value in ivory and that every piece of ivory kills an elephant, uh, that there's no value whatsoever in rhino horn, there's no benefits to it whatsoever, and that every piece of rhino horn kills a rhino and that we, we have very few left. And surprisingly, a lot of people in Asia don't even know that. Right? So that, that's, a, that's a big issue. And then the the trade in between, let's imagine that, you know, the demand in Asia, that means that a piece of ivory often has traveled the whole world on ships and airplanes and all kind of stuff immediately while it came from somewhere in Central Africa. So there's a lot of pieces in between where we have a chance to find out what's going on, intercept it and stop it. And then the third thing is the, is the poaching itself, which is why we're using all this advanced technology in Africa itself to make sure there can't be any poaching at all. And we basically just stop the, the, the demand, uh, sorry, the supply side of the of the whole story. So it's really about those three components that make up illegal wildlife uh, trade, and we need to stop all three of them.
0: Wow, and this made me think of something. It's really important to reach to the other side of the world and there's this thing on planes right before you take off there's a video of a kid telling everyone in the audience that he wants to grow up to be an animal advocate and there are poachers like in in the audience and it changes them and i think cuz over when it plays on all the other side of the world i think that can make a real big difference and you know kids can really make an impact on people's choices and i think that's a really cool way that some, somebody came up with And I hope it's helping. And now, okay, can you talk about the fifth industrial revolution? And this sounds really serious and really exciting. So what is it?
1: Yeah. So um, it is the fifth industrial revolution because it's the fifth one, right? So the first one was well beyond us, before us, were steam engines, right? Big machines, like steam trains and all of that. Um, and then came electricity,
2: mass production, yeah
1: um, and uh, then we had computers, right in the eighties. Like I grew up, we grew up with actual bulky computers, right Now we all have laptops and and small and fancy stuff, and we have phones in our pockets that are more way more powerful than our our computers were at the time. <laughs> um, and the, uh, so that was the computers were the third. and the fourth is robotics, Internet of things cloud computing, uh, augmented reality, virtual reality, all of those things. Now, the fourth industrial revolution was still about just those technologies for very professional industrial applications. The fifth industrial revolution is where it gets kind of perfect because it's all about applying those technologies for the benefit of the planet and humanity. So now it's all about using the technologies for doing something good.
0: Wow. I never have ever heard of this. So this sounds really cool. And I have never thought about like that. Okay, so now my last question. Do you think my generation can turn our planet around? What needs to happen to, to prepare kids my age in terms of our education, our experiences and our knowledge with technology?
2: It's what we said before. We absolutely know you will help turn things around. Uh, so we're very excited for what you're doing and the momentum that you're building. And it goes back to education uh, on the ground in schools, whether it's a professional pursuit or it's just a passion. It's just really important. And like Boss explained, the fifth industrial revolution, it's about using all these new cool technologies and finding ways to apply them for good and use them to help with ways to do better farming, right? Ways to, um, you know, stop crimes in cities, right? Um, All these technologies are, are positive things and we need to trust them. So I think the more that your generation can embrace these technologies and learn how to code for them and apply them and be on the ground, there's... Every bit of confidence in both of us that you will, uh, your generation will leave the planet a better place for even generations to come, and then hopefully they can find some new problems to solve.
1: Yeah, because think about it. Like we, we grew up in a whole different world, and then chose an education and a profession to then at some point, like mm-hmm. for for me, my late twenties, and and, and mm-hmm. we came on a little bit uh, later yeah. in, in, into this, and then find out that um, you know we need to change and now we have to turn a kind of career around and life around well your generation it built, can be made aware
2: <laughs> yeah
1: you you learn about it now you mm-hmm. still have a couple of years until you choose your studies you can already choose your studies towards the goal then you can choose a profession towards this goal and you can spend your whole lifetime doing good <laughs>
0: definitely okay before we sign off where can kids and teens go to find more about your amazing projects in Zambezi uh,
1: yes yeah, so our website is www.zambezipartners.com and um uh and www.wildislife.org
0: awesome okay we have all those links below Jenna, Bastian, thank you both so much for being here today. Thank
1: Thank you, you. Kate. It was absolutely wonderful and uh, looking forward to doing a lot of good work together.
0: Thank you, Kate. Let's go!